anything you touch add value to it, right? It's not enough that you're just billing time while you're working on something. It needs to, once it's left your possession, it needs to, you need to have added value to the client with what you did. Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it's all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of my business, The Accidental Accountant. My goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 34 of Improv is No Joke podcast. Thank you very much for downloading this episode. Today's guest is Matt Horan, who is a professional development consultant. Matt and I spend time discussing how the development of one's leadership skills doesn't happen overnight, but it's a journey. Now, Matt has a great background, but his leadership foundation comes from his time at the Naval Academy and his six years at sea. One of our conversation is around the phrase that management guru Peter Drucker coined, the Peter Principle, which is promoting a person to their level of incompetence. In other words, spending those first five years investing into their technical skills and then promoting them to the level of manager and not investing in these so-called soft skills. I like to say they may be soft skills, but they are very hard to master. Around the 21-minute mark, we have a discussion about the meaning of adding value and what the true definition of the term. Matt nailed it, and I'll summarize his comment. Adding value is about your thoughts, perceptions, and ideas on how you think about a certain situation and the ability to communicate it, verbally or written, in a manner that someone can act on. Now, I'd like to know your thoughts on the term adding value. If you'd like to comment, please send me an email at peter at petermargaritas.com or respond to one of the social media postings. One of my goals with this podcast is that I'll help you to begin to make changes in your work and personal lives so you can better connect with others and create meaningful relationships. Many people have said it takes 21 days to start a habit, but a lifetime to keep that pattern. That's why I created the Yes And Challenge, to help keep these principles in front of you so you can build up your improvisational muscle. To sign up, please go to petermargaritas.com and scroll down to the Yes And Challenge call to action and click to register to begin building the productive habit of Yes And and the principles of improvisation. And remember to share your experiences on Twitter using the hashtag Yes And Challenge. Now, if you're unsure of what the Yes And Challenge is all about, I discuss this in detail in episode zero, so go back, take a listen. And remember, you can subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Along with you can purchase my book, Improv is No Joke, Using Improvisation to Create Positive Results in Leadership and Life, on Amazon. It's available in paperback and on Kindle. Well, with that said, let's get to the interview with Matt Horan. Hey, welcome everybody. I'm with Matt Horan today and oh god, I don't know. Matt and I go back 6 plus years and and Matt's uh, the brother-in-law of a good friend of mine who I started in the banking business way back when, uh Chuck Flint and uh 
if, if Chuck's listening, we're going to have some fun at your expense, probably at some point during this interview. So uh, better buckle up, buddy. It might, it might get it might get a little rough for you. But, <laughs> but first and foremost, Matt, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to have a conversation with me today. Well, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. And, and thanks for the invitation. Well, and uh, as I like to start all of my interviews with, just so the audience can get a better idea of who Matt is, can you give us a little bit about your background? Sure. So uh, the short and sweet, grew up in Florida, uh, went to my undergraduate degree at the Naval Academy in Annapolis, had an engineering degree, went to sea for six years, never used that engineering degree at all, <laughs> went back to school to University of Florida, got a law degree and practiced law for six years in Orlando before a jumping ship into the home building business. And I went for one, to work for one of the big home building companies. And I was a manager and then ultimately ran the division of Southeast Florida for Centex. Um, before my wife's job took us overseas. And, and when I hit London, the shores of the United Kingdom, I had to decide what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. <laughs> and I decided I wanted to go into coaching and professional training and development. And that's what I've been doing ever since. And, and I know you've worked for a, a number of different companies. Uh, we met prior to, but you still uh, uh, do work for the Mind Gym out of, out, based out of London, but they have a, a, an office in New York. And you're currently, as your LinkedIn page states, you're a professional development consultant. That's right. Can you, That's right. Can you describe that or put a, put a definition around what that is? Sure. So I guess what the reason I call myself a professional development consultant, right, is what brings me joy. The reason I do what I do is I feel like I can help people develop in their professions. I mean, I do some work with people personally, some coaching touches on personal issues, but for the most part, it's working with people who, look, I can empathize with. They're working long hours, hard jobs. And if they have 90 minutes in a day or a couple of hours to sit through a training session, my job is to help them identify some piece of information I've picked up over the years through my reading or in conversations with great people like you, you and um, help them develop in their careers. And so that's what I do. And so it's, I, I run different training programs on different topics leadership development, communication skills, presentation skills, although I'm not even going to try and pretend that I'm in your camp <laughs> as far as that. Um, and, um, you know, how to deal with change and how to deal with stress and, and all those things that everybody, I think everybody deals with. Well, I think you just described a lot of my audience as CPAs, especially when this airs, it'll just be at the beginning of, we'll just, we call it busy season when that stress level is going to go through the roof. Uh, you know, the, the, you go to work and the sun has, hasn't even peaked on the horizon. And when you go home, you're going, I never even saw the sun at all today. Right, 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 right. <laughs> when is, when is summer coming? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and you just pray that that groundhog, whatever it does, uh, uh, spring comes a lot quicker. Right. <laughs> so, and, and working with the with these different groups, so you've got an engineering naval background. You spent time at sea, and I like and I liked how you said that. So you did that, and then you went to the uh, University of Florida Law School. And at some point you mentioned about jumping ship, which was a nice <laughs> tie-in right. to, 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 to your time in the Navy. Right, but, right. But obviously spending the, as much time as you did with the Naval Academy and out to sea for, for six years, that in itself lends it to some great leadership skills that you were able to learn and develop uh, even at that point in time. 
Well, you know, I hope so. But I always say leadership is a journey. And I know that that may, might sound like one of those hokey phrases, but I, I do believe that becoming a great leader or, or just developing as a leader is, is a never ending process, right? So if I look back on what I, the kind of leader that I was when I was 21 <laughs> to 27, you know, back then, you know, I tried to do all the right things as everybody does, but if I, you know, I wish I knew the things I knew today, I would have done things differently. But I agree with you. It is a journey. I mean, life experiences over time turn you into a great leader. You just don't wake up. Most of us don't wake up one day, unless you're a Kennedy, and go, I'm going <laughs> to be a leader today, and woo, out right. the door we go. I, 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 right. think, I, I think leadership starts with raising your hand and going, mm. I want to learn, or let me do that, or, and how, how I start, I can still remember back at University of Kentucky, my freshman year, they, they, we had the dorm president, the dorm council, whatever. And, and I raised my hand and said, I want to be dorm president. I don't know why. Maybe it's, maybe thought pick up curls or something would be a lot easier. But, but as you can see, I have a face for radio. So, <laughs> so but th- th- there's, I, I think to some of us, there's this innate want to be a leader. And I think others, it may take a little bit more work, but I think it's just stepping outside your comfort zone and putting yourself into these these leadership positions. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I think I've certainly come across people who have been thrust into leadership positions, you know, and and I don't know about you, but there have been certain points in my career where, you know, maybe I raised my hand and I said I wanted to take charge. But at some point I was asked to do something that was beyond what I had imagined I would be responsible for. Right. Okay. You know, similar to like when I got tapped to run the division for for Centex down in Southeast Florida, right? I and I wasn't ready for that in my mind. And I think a lot of times, the first time someone becomes a leader, they have that exact same experience. I work with a lot of people in professional services, you know, people who have succeeded very well in large multinational corporations because they're technically excellent. And then they tap them on the shoulder and say, "You know what? Now we want you to run this department." And then it's, okay, well, what is that, yeah. right? And um, they don't put them through any training. They don't talk to them about it. And I think you, you and I might have even had this conversation at some point. It's, you know, people will say, well, let's go to school to be a really good engineer. Let's go to school to be a really good accountant. But I'll just let you figure out how to be a leader along the way while you're managing the lives of these 30 people who are looking at you every day. Right. Yeah, we, we have had that conversation because, uh, yeah, I'll even pull a Peter Drucker phrase. Are we are we providing the Peter principle to them? Are we promoting them to their level of incompetence because they're technically sound? And we spend the first years on ensuring that they're technically sound. And they'll go, okay, now go manage people. Right. Uh, what does that mean? Right. Uh, and how do I do that? And, and I think a lot of times in, in – let's say like accounting firms, this up and out mentality is I think once a lot of people get to that manager level and they don't have the skills necessary to be successful at that, they go, I'm out of here. Right. Uh, where we should be providing those skills earlier and in, in this conversation versus the way that the baby boomers back in their day had, had to learn it on the job, but I think you would agree that the job is moving a heck of a lot faster these days than it did then. Right, right. And and you're right. It's just, I mean, for a lot of people, it's just not offered out there. And you have to find time to read a book, to, to listen to podcasts, to watch TED Talks, anything where you can pick up any tips about what it means to manage people. Because going back to what you said, I think some people 
naturally have that pull, right? They want to raise their hand. And so I think they have some sort of natural talent or gift, but even they need to develop it. And if that's not anything you've ever felt the desire to, to do, where do you start? You know, and where do you start? And that's a good question. So I'll ask this maybe in a little bit different way. What do you think the number one key quality that someone needs when they want to start thinking about becoming a leader that they might need to work on that they haven't fully developed? This is a broad answer, but the first thing that comes to mind when I talk to people, and that's honestly, it's, it's self-awareness. You know, it's, it's understanding your own strengths, understanding your own skills, understanding your priorities, your values, your expectations. I think if you know yourself, then you can start to lead other people because to lead people, you need to set expectations with those people. And the minute the minute you've taken a group of 10 people and you said, okay, this one person is going to be responsible for the other nine, the other nine are going to start looking at that 10th person and they're going to say, so what does she or he want from me? What, what do I need to do to impress that person or to make them happy so my life is easier? And that's going to happen immediately. And so it needs to be clear in your mind what you can then tell those people, those other nine people, this is what I want of you. This is what I expect of you. This is what's important to me. So I think that's that's a key first step. And along those lines, you said that the self-awareness, know yourself, and I think it's also be completely honest with yourself. Yeah. I might be I might be self-aware that I, I can do this, and there may be a piece that I, I might not be because it could be a weakness of mine. Yep. But I'm not going to pay attention to it because I really want this opportunity. Right. But you know, I think that comes along. We need to be honest with ourselves and communicate it that okay, this is a weakness. I'll take the role, but how can you help me strengthen that weakness? And the other thing that you said with self awareness goes to what's my emotional intelligence at that point in time in my life? Because I've seen, I guess the the acronym for emotional intelligence is EQ. I've seen the I've seen the equation IQ plus EQ equals success. Right. And and how would you define emotional intelligence? Well, you know, I mean, there's, there's whole books on the topic, right? But for me, it's, it's, it's number one, it's, it's being aware. And it's a great point that you said about the blind spots, right? And it's, it's um, having an appreciation of people, empathizing with people, realizing that, you know, it's funny in the business, right? You, you and I probably have a lot of clients who are human resources. They're, that's the department that they run. But I, I struggle with that because I don't think of people as resources. People are people are really special. And so it's I think it's empathizing with the, with people, cueing in on body language, tone of voice when I'm interacting with people. Um, what do people want from me? Re- recognizing that if I'm going to build trust with people, which a lot of research shows that building strong, trusting relationships is the core ability that people need as a good leader. So if I want to build strong, trusting relationships with people, I need to be able to connect with them. I need to be curious about them. I need to understand what they're looking for and not, and realize that not everyone in the world is exactly like me. Right. Right. Would you also go that failure is an option and we can't be perfect? Oh yeah. 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 yeah, That's great. Absolutely true. And as a, as a leader, if I can, if my people see when I make a mistake and I take, I'm accountable for that, 
that says a lot versus I, I no I I didn't make a mistake that I, I'm not sure it was it was everybody else's fault it wasn't about me yeah yeah no agreed and I think you've probably heard of the the window and the mirror parable or or analogy that you know a good leader when he sees or she sees that something is done well by the team looks at a window and says look outside the window at my team they're the ones that did it. And when something goes wrong, it flips around and it's a mirror and says, well, look, there's me. It's it's my responsibility. And not just, you know, taking responsibility for it, but as you say, owning up to it. Because you're right. People can see through it. You, you'll lose credibility. You'll lose trust right away. People can read body language a lot better sometimes than they can read the words coming out of somebody's mouth. And I think you can tell when people aren't genuine in the response because it really comes through the body language. And, and, and you mentioned about, you know, working with those in human resources. Right. Resources. Uh, I, have a, I have a friend of mine who I'm going to be interviewing here in a few weeks. He's uh, named John Kelly. He's the chief people officer. Right, right. For, for White Castle Systems. Yeah. And I thought that was a nice twist that they put on that that role of, of I'm in charge of, I'm in charge of the workforce. I'm in charge of the people. I, I'm in charge for the training. I'm responsible for that. You know, I, I think resource becomes a, um, almost a buzzword anymore. Yeah. And, and, and I, I've seen some companies starting shifting to the, the people officer terminology. I think that's a good move. Yeah. It, it just, it, it, it humanizes it all. And, and right. whether it's an audience of engineers, a, a, an audience of creative people, I, I ask this question, what business are you in? And, and I'll get, you know, from accountants, I'm an auditing or whatever, and I get, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an artist, and it's, you know, I said, no, the, the mainline business, you're in, you're in the people business first and foremost. Right, right. Because if you're an artist, if you have no one to sell to, you're still going to be starving. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. If you're an accountant and you have no one, no clients to sell to, you're going to be out of business. You're going to be starving and need people. So we're all in the people business. And I think the more that we can recognize our emotional intelligence, but let's, let's take this. You're an engineer. I'm an accountant. We sit on that right side, very linear side of the brain that, you know, feelings at work. Right, right. Nothing personal, just business. Right. The, the the Mark Cubans of the world. Right. There's no crying in baseball. Yeah, there's no crying in baseball. There's <laughs> there's there's no crying in the office. But we know that right. it, we know that it happens. And and the more that I'm reading anymore, it's about we need to be. I, you know, I loved how you we need to empathize more. Yeah. With the people around us and uh, create a different type of work atmosphere. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, something just occurred to me when you had said about, you know, failure is an option. Uh, if I can revisit that for a second, that it, it just occurred to me because, you know, we're saying it's a really good idea to hold, to hold your hand up and said, look, I made a mistake and, and to expect that a great leader will do that. But it's also it's worth recognizing that that's not easy to do when you've been put into a leadership position the first time, you know, it's not easy to do. You know, and and I would say the other thing that I think is really important, other than being able to raise your hand and say, "Hey, I made a mistake," it's one of the key learnings I had early on is is to admit when you don't know. You know, because I don't know about you, but I, you know, I never wanted to admit that I didn't know the answer to something if someone came. But I still remember the first time I was in a in a meeting with someone who I respected as a leader two levels up, and as we were going around, and something came up, and I didn't understand what was 
being said. And I thought, well, it's because I'm the new guy. And she raised her hand and said, look, can we start over again? I have no idea what we're talking about here. This doesn't make any sense to me. And it wasn't that the person wasn't communicating it really well. It was a new concept. And I thought I didn't lose any respect for her. In fact, I gained respect for her. And so I started doing that. Now, maybe the people that work for me might say, Matt certainly didn't know what was going on most of the time, <laughs> but, but I was happy to admit it. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that, that is a good point. That, you know, that, uh, some people say, yeah, because I ask them, when I say the word improv, what do they think? It's like, fake it till you make it. It's like, no, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's not that. You, you, if you don't know something, you don't understand something, you, you, you got to ask the question. And, and, you know, people are afraid to ask the question, raise their hand, say, could you repeat that? Because we don't want to look stupid. Well, we don't want to ask that stupid question, but I always say the stupid question is the one that's never asked. Right. And also, the the stupid question is the one that you keep asking over and over and over and over and over again. That becomes a stupid question because, you know what, you ask a question, you learn from it, you move on, and hopefully don't run into that same issue again. But I think there's that, that fear of failure. And to the failure part, would you agree with this? That So if I, if I went to my boss and said, I screwed up, mm-hmm. I did something wrong, I had an error somewhere, that should be followed up with, but here's how I think we could fix it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah, versus what you're saying, you know, just bringing the problem, right? And yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. And, and I think there was a, a lesson that I learned from, from a gentleman that I had a chance to work with for a while. He was a great guy, um, West Point graduate, former professor at West Point, teaches leadership experiences at Gettysburg. And you know, he tells the story of the Army officer in the Civil War whose name I can't recall. The lesson from this man, what he did was to, to go and send the note up to his commander and say, this is what I intend to do unless I hear differently from you. And I tell people that all the time. When you're in charge of something, decide what you want to do, make it clear to your boss and your people this is what you're doing, and do it. You know, and say this is what I'm going to do unless you think I should do otherwise. And if they disagree, they'll let you know. But at least they know you're taking the initiative, you're doing it, and they'll stop you if you're going to make a mistake. They'll they'll jump in. One of the things I think is leading people is how do you coach the people that work for you around that same dilemma. And that is people, now you're the boss and everybody's coming to you to take up your time, right? With, hey, Peter, I've got this question. I've got this problem. What do you think I should do about it? You're the the boss. What I used to do and I coach people to do is start asking them. So great, fantastic. Let me help me understand this problem. What do you want to do about it? And maybe after five or six times, depending upon that person, they will now start coming to you saying, Hey, Peter, here's my problem, and this is what I think I'm going to do about it, because I know you're just going to ask me anyway. <laughs> so let's skip that step, and, let's, and this is what I'm going to do. And it helps them grow, and it makes your life a little bit easier. Yeah, I had a, a similar experience happen to me years ago. Um, I went to my boss with a, a huge error that I made in a spreadsheet to about half a million, three quarters million dollar, dollars. And I, my, my boss at the time, she had this aura that, she, you know, most people kind of feared her. I, I, could, I could make her laugh. Long story short, when I went and, and told her the problem, I thought she was going to, you know, just chew me up and spit me out. But she said, just calm, cool, everything was fine. And then she said these words, what's your solution? Mm. And then she saw the panic 
jump on <laughs> come about me. And then she did all Tasmanian devil on me. And uh, I walked in with a 36 inch waist and I walked out with a 32 inch waist. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I never came back to her or anybody after that point when I had a problem, I would have some you know, idea of how we could fix it. And, and, you know, it might be right, but it was probably going to be wrong. But, but even, you know, as they say, as we say in improv, you know, uh, a couple things, one bad ideas are just bridges to good ideas. Mm, mm. No, no ideas in this case almost got me killed. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, so but, you know, the, the idea that you bring or the solution that you, that you're coming to might not be the correct solution, but it starts the conversation. Right, right. It shows that you're adding value. You know, I think the first partner that I ever worked for when I started practicing law, my first mentor said, here's my advice to you. Don't, and it's, I don't know if this first piece of advice would live today. And that was, don't have two things open on your desk at any one time, right? Open a file, work on it, close it before you move to the next one. I don't know in today's world if that's possible. But the second piece of advice, he said, Anything you touch, add value to it, right? It's not enough that you're just billing time while you're working on something. It needs to, once it's left your possession, it needs to, you need to have added value to the client with what you did. And that really resonated with me because they don't teach you that in law school, right? <laughs> and um, so to me, if, if I'm handed a problem, what, what value can I add, right? And even if it's just, I'm going to start asking questions about it. So I was just going to ask you, so how, so... You, you're working on a client, you're working on a file, and, and you're, you're in a process mode. So when you're done, what have you done to that file to enhance it to, quote, unquote, add value to it? Right. Because uh, I liked how you, you put it, when, when you're coming and you're asking questions and you're doing and, and you're probing, you, you're actually adding value to that process. So how do you do that if it's in somewhat of a, of a, of a vacuum that you might be working on a client file and you finished with it and you close that file up, what's inside of that file that adds value prior to even any discussion? I don't know. And, and back then, I don't think there was ever a time when you could, I could just open up a file and close it and not have to document somewhere what I was doing. Right. So it was either in a memorandum and you had to, to try and do it while you while it was fresh in your mind, but, you know, dictating a memorandum, drafting a document, something that captured you know, what you thought, um, because that, you know, as you're starting off, that's, that's the value that you bring. Right. And, and if I try and think out even outside of law these days, it's here's something I've seen. Let me put an email together to summarize my thoughts or questions, moving it along so that, you know, we're closer to achieving whatever the goal is, but not just sitting back and saying, okay, I'll come back to this later, which then never happens. Right. and. Adding the the term adding value in a lot of ways, I think, has been viewed as a buzzword because it's so overused. And except now, I I, for the, I think for the first time, I've actually heard somebody put a definition or describe what true adding value is, especially in this situation. It's and I just wrote it down. Adding value is basically your thoughts, mm. your, your your perception, your your your, per, your your how you think this should go, and being able to communicate that in a manner that somebody else can understand. I think that might be, in, in my mind, the new definition of what adding value really is. Mm. Sounds okay to me. Well, well how are we going to brand this? The Matt Horan uh, view of adding value? 
I, I think we I think we should get that trademarked. Yeah, let's timestamp that. Yeah. <laughs> let's timestamp that. Well, let's let's think this through a little bit more. I think you're an attorney. You can probably file the proper paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> well, you I don't think you have to call legal Zoom or anything like that. Right, right, right. And, and you can get that done. But you know, to your point. As I move forward from this podcast, and, and, and whether it's seminars or, or conferences or things that I work on, I'm going to ask who has the definition of adding value. And and, and I, I, it goes back to the, my my one point. I think it's an overused buzzword that we haven't really thought what it means, but we use it a lot. Uh, I, I think you've put some meat on the, on that bone, my friend. All right. Well, let me know if it picks up any traction, and and I'm happy to give you credit for it because you 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 um, summarized <laughs> what I what I rambled. <laughs> no, it was it wasn't it wasn't rambling, but but it's it, it really makes sense, and but it really resonated because I, I if you remember in my in the book I wrote a chapter on corporate buzzwords and and how it's overused, and, and the more we hear these buzzwords, the more we quit listening. Right. But now if we can put some meat on the bone, we add value. So, well, tell me what, how you added that value. And most people would go, uh, but it's, it's the memo. It, it's maybe the call to the client. It, it's, it's something that we've done that we've been able to document to move that process forward because that's what that would adding value would be. We'd be moving the process ahead versus, as you said, I'll get to this later. Right, right. Let me take a look at it and I'll come back to that. I need to sit and think on it, which... Is fine if that turns out to be to create something at the end. Yeah, and to your point, it's okay. So if let me think about it now while it's still fresh in my mind, because as we were talking earlier before we went, you know, started the, the podcast, we were talking about how much we can forget walking in one room to the next. <laughs> I can't believe you outed, outed me in front of all your listeners. Well, no, I'm outing <laughs> all of us because oh, I've, I've outed myself, and I'll tell you this: you know, I can get out of the shower and dry off and I'll forget what I had a great idea in the shower. So I actually, right. I actually yeah. went out to Amazon and bought this thing called Aqua Notes. Yep. I, and, yeah. and, and it's in my shower and there's a waterproof pencil. So I have to write stuff down in the shower. Um, and next I got to buy a new pad because I keep running through them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but to the point we, you know, especially in today's hectic lives, whether you're an engineer, whether you're an attorney, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a salesperson, we're, we're running at such a high speed that if we don't take the time and focus on it for a moment and get those thoughts out so we can add value, if we come back later, uh, we're, we're not going to remember everything that we had when it's fresh in our minds. No, no, I agree. You know, And I think you have to create space when, you're, when you commit to adding value to a client's work or anything you're working on. You need to create space for yourself to do it. You know, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar. There's some research out there about how long it takes us to refocus once our email alert comes on, even if we just hear it. And then if we glance up at it, we look at it, how long does it take for our physiology to reset to where it was before that happened? And it takes, I, I want to say, you know, this is at like 68% of statistics are made up in the moment. I want to <laughs> say, though, I remember, I remember correctly, it's about, you know, eight or nine seconds for us to refocus our, our vision. But it takes maybe, I want to say, two and a half, three minutes for our body to resettle to where it was before. You know, if that email makes us anxious or excited or angry, bottom line is create value for what you're working on and remove all those distractions. What did you just say? 
No, <laughs> just kidding. I was at a conference and somebody made a comment that, that the average attention span is about six seconds. And he paused for a moment and I raised my hand and I said, what did you say? And he, start, and he started to say it again. And I went, no, no, I, I heard you. I just, just, making a, just making a point. But, but to, that, <laughs> to that, so if we have a hard time with our attention span, uh, so what if you're an ADHD dyslexic accountant? You can imagine how hard it is to maintain focus. Yeah. And so welcome to my world. Yeah. <laughs> Squirrels are running everywhere. <laughs> right, right. I saw the, the, the coolest contraption today, and it's like a little fidget cube. That, that It's like a, you know, it's a six-sided cube, and it has little things like little buttons or knobs or different things that you can click and, on all six sides so you can just get some of that energy out while you're trying to focus on something else. So I play with poker chips when I'm, oh. when I'm sitting there and, and at times, if I've got that energy and I'm, and I'm talking, I'll just like fiddle around with, with some poker chips. And, and, but do you think we can truly multitask? So that is such a great question, right? Because I, for years, my response has always been no. I mean, I, I and I'll say this, there's no research out there that I'm aware of that proves that you can effectively multitask, right? All, any research that I've shown says that you, you really do lose a lot of focus when you move from one thing to another and try and do it at the same time. And that's what I've been saying to groups for years. But I tell you what, as younger people are coming to my workshops and I'm meeting them and seeing them, they will fight me vehemently on that one. You know, that, hey, I've grown up multitasking and I can do all these things. So I don't know. I'm open to the possibility, but Personally, I, I have not been convinced yet that you can. I, I'm, I'm convinced that you can. I, I think in the situation that, that they think they can multitask is watching them when they're on their phone in a seminar and just wait a few seconds and say, excuse me, can you tell me what I just said? Mm-hmm. And they won't be able because they're, they're, they're phone. Uh, I had an uh, engineer, uh, John Barlow, on an earlier episode, he's, he goes, you can't, his theory was you can't multitask out of the same side of your brain. <laughs> he, now, he's a drummer, and he says, that's the only way I've been able to multitask because I'm using both sides of my brain when I'm playing the drums. Mm. And I, I can be successful at that, but I can't drive a car and text. Oh, or, yeah. Or, or multitask, and we're talking about leadership and, and attributes. So... If I'm the boss and I've got uh, somebody comes in and says, can I get a few minutes of your time? Sure, come on, have a seat across the table. But I've got my desktop right here or I've got my laptop and I'm not completely focused on this conversation because I'm looking over here. Right. I'm, I've become distracted with the dings and oh, and you're not hearing everything that I'm saying. And I'm sitting wondering, are you even hearing anything that I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And so now you're not doing anything really well. You're not doing anything 100% because whatever email is coming through, you're not focused on and and you're losing trust with that person. You know, you're you're potentially dealing with management, management issues, leadership issues that you're going to have in the future because this person is either going to go work for someone else who pays attention or you've missed what they've said. There's such a power to being present in the moment. And I know that has kind of new agey sound to it, but I I totally agree in the leadership sense. You need to be present and people will appreciate it. Being present, being in the moment and being focused is also one of the principles of improvisation. So it's not, it's, it's not new agey per se, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it, it is, it's, it's it, because you have to be, you have to be really listening to that person. And, and it, in my 
some of my workshops when I'm demonstrating this point, we'll, we'll play this game called Last Word Spoken. And I will start off a sentence, and whatever the conversation is, but the last word, when I stop that sentence, that last word becomes your first word. And then you carry it, and we're trying to make this cohesive sentence, then you carry that off, and then that your last word becomes my first word. Right. And it demonstrates that a lot of times, if we're not listening all the way through that sentence, if we're interrupting or we've already formed our own agenda, we're not, we may be missing the biggest piece there from them. And the more that we can listen to understand, the better leader that we will become. Yeah. So that's a really interesting lesson. It's, it's so funny how I think it's pretty universal. It's a lesson I learned in coaching too. That, you know, as a coach, right, as human beings, we're, we're listening to our clients tell us about problems. It's the same thing I did as a manager and trying to help them come up with solutions. And what do we do? You know, we get in solution mode. Someone starts talking. Hey, I've got this problem. We listen, listen, listen. And then, oh, wait, there it is. I got the solution. Now I'm not listening anymore. I'm just waiting for them to finish speaking so I can share my solution with them. And then I miss all the other stuff. Um, and so I tell people, don't, don't worry about being clever when you're coaching an employee. Don't worry about being clever and having a solution. Just be curious, right? Just continue listening until they finish that last sentence and then trust yourself to come up with where you need to go from there. And it makes it a lot easier, to be honest. It, it does. I mean, and and by doing the studies have shown it, when you're finished talking and if I pause it for just a brief moment, the, the person that you're conversing with, the level of respect is now notched up because they're going, he's, he or she is now listening to me. And that pause also allows you to formulate your next thought and, and, and your, whether it's a question or a statement or a comment. Um, all the while, as I say, you just park that agenda that you came in there with right. and, and explore those ideas. Um, I, I, and I love this other one in, in terminology in, in improv. It's, it's don't bring a cathedral, bring a brick. Hmm. Because if I'm sorry, we see a lot of times we've got a problem or whatever, and I want everybody to meet and we get together and I'm asking everybody's opinion. And then I go, well, nope, I, got, I came up with that idea. This is what we're going to do. <laughs> right. And we're saying, well, I just wasted 45 minutes of my life because you should just come in and said, this is what we're going to do because you had already made up your mind. You brought the cathedral and, you know, now we want to throw our bricks at you. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> And thank you for, you know, uh, not not um, honoring this brick that I spent all this time making by hand, too, right? Right, exactly. You know, I was just talking to some leaders this week. It was about making decisions and not letting unconscious bias creep into our decisions. And and as a leader, not not anchoring the decisions of your team. So coming in and saying, hey, this is what I'm, think, I, this is what I'm thinking we should do. What does everybody else think? I, let's just brainstorm, you know? What does everybody else think? Of course, they're already thinking about what you just told them. Good point. So don't even don't show them the picture of the cathedral, (laughs) (laughs) or or give them the address. (laughs) But but that is a good point. If if you truly want to solicit their ideas, come in and go. Here's our problem. Right. Tell me what you think. And I think in in that failure piece, and and, because a lot of times, to your point, we might be 
intimidated on what we say because we don't want to say something stupid or be perceived wrong or, or have a bad idea. So I, I challenge those leaders to be one of the first ones to throw out a bad idea just to set the set the, 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 the mood in the room a little bit better. Like, wow, that's really, that wasn't that greatest idea. But hey, <laughs> if he can do it, maybe I can start throwing it out and it's creating that, that, that culture for it. Right. I, I don't know if you've seen this quote. I just saw it this week that I've started, and I've introduced it already in a creativity session I was doing. And it's, um, if you're ever afraid to share a bad idea, just remember that at some point in time, some people sat around a table and said, right, shouldn't we, let's make a movie about a tornado full of sharks. <laughs> Did you see that? Yeah, yeah I, I've, heard, I've heard that one. And <laughs> that's, that's a great point. One of my newest quotes, and I'm just pulling up here, uh, I, w- I was up, uh, I have a cousin of mine who lives in New Haven, Connecticut. He's a graduate uh, of Yale and he, and he teaches at a school there, uh, an, art, an arts school. We were show- he was showing me the campus. And above one of the doors was this quote. It says, you can't use up creativity. The more you use, the more you have. Mm-hmm. And that's by Maya Angelou. Hmm. Which I think it's a great quote. I've never heard that before, but it's I absolutely agree with it. I had I, I took a picture of it once because we already talked about memory, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and two I thought it was a great quote as it relates to to creativity. You can you can never use it up, right? And, and when I ask, I love asking CPAs, are, "Are you creative?" And they go, "No," and I'm like, "Not Enron creative." Right, right, right. <laughs> but, are, but are you creative? And they still go, no. And then I say, okay, let me ask the question differently. Do you have ideas? And then I'll go, yes. Then you're all creative. That's what I, I creativity comes from the idea of a tornado and a shark. Right, somebody right. had to have that idea or somebody had the idea of new Coke. That wasn't really, that wasn't a really good idea. Right, right. And, and somebody had to have the idea, let's put three frogs on lily pads in a swamp and have them say, but why? Right, right. Yeah. right. So we all have ideas, this ability to get the idea out on the table, not, not, not feel intimidated, not feel judged. And I, I like, I, as I said in this uh, panel discussion yesterday, I don't like the word innovation. And it kind of goes back to some things that, that I learned when we were at the mind gym, because in, in innovation is the word creativity. Yeah. And I've separated the two. That in order to be creative, you have to get the quantity of ideas out. And then once you look at innovation, then we can put on the the devil's advocate or the critic and say, or the judgment piece. But I, I, I see that when we put it together, there's, there's a lot of judgment being placed on generating those ideas. And it, that, just, that just stifles creativity. Oh, absolutely. It's recognizing that innovation is the full cycle. And the creative, the brainstorming, all that piece is is part of it. And leaving the critical thinking to the tail end. You know, when we decide which of these ideas do we want to put forward? Do we want to evaluate? Do we want to market and see if we can win some people on onto our side to, to push these ideas forward? That's the whole cycle. But it's really interesting to me, and I'm sure you've had the same experience, how easy it is for people to start evaluating and judging creative ideas early like it's this human need Mm -hmm. to want to start saying okay so that's a great idea but (laughs) that's a great idea but instead of you know and i do and i don't 
you know, some of the minds and work on creativity is teaching people the essay and tool during creative thinking. And it's so funny to see how much people struggle with it. It really is because we've, we've put no one but in our conversations. Another thing that I, in the workshop that I do is I pair people up and I say, I want you to have a conversation. Some person pitch an idea and the other person will start to say no, because, and then we'll have that little bit. And then we'll do the same conversation with yes, but, and then same conversation with yes and, and it's clear. Then it becomes clear to everybody. It's very negative. It's you know the the no because the yes but and eh, maybe a little bit of better. But I'm still feel like I'm getting lip service. Or as one person said, I'm used to saying that. It's comfortable for me. <laughs> yeah. But then when we do it into the yes and, it's it's much more collaborative. It's it's, it's much as long as we keep that peace in that creative process, it'll, it'll take us a, a, down that a, a longer, more productive path, and also be inspiring and motivating to the staff and the people we work with, and always cutting them off. Yeah. Yes, yes, and I think that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple of years ago, it was in Fast Company, I believe. They did a whole piece on creativity. And they did a survey. I don't remember the, the population of the survey, but they said 73% of those who were surveyed, and these were uh, leaders uh, within industries, said that 73% felt that creativity was the number one attribute needed today in leadership. However, only 23% were utilizing it. Not surprised. <laughs> I mean, I'm not surprised. I think, you know, in the, the model that I think mind Jim in their research, they came up with the seven skills of a good manager that, that I, I, I believe they nailed it. And one of that is innovation, you know, the ability to be creative, it, it, you know, it's a skill that people need to be an effective leader today. And it's not creating new Coke, right? It's not creating <laughs> the new electric car, but it's just, thinking about a new way to do things and using that brain that you have. But it's one of those things that, that, you know, when's the last time, well, how many people have a half an hour carved out on their calendar, 15 minutes every week that's dedicated to creative space? Uh, no, Right. But you probably have time for meetings and you probably get, you know, work through your to-do list every week, but it's, it's a critical thing. So I'm not surprised. What did you say? 23% or something? Yeah, about 23%. And I, and then I think has big corporate America stifled creativity amongst the workforce. Um, I think the larger the organization, it's do this, do this, do this, and don't be creative in what you're doing. I just need you to get the job done. And that could be a death of a company. Sure. So I think it's always just doing those incremental things, you know, on your own individual basis. What are the incremental things that I can use my creativity to do these things smarter? It's about finding, you know, we were talking about yesterday. It's about finding, you know, it's not always coming up with the new Coke or the ads or like you said, but as I say, if, if someone says this is the way we've always done it. Right. I go, that's a sign that we need to fix it. Right. Because it's outdated. But, but but now we're going down this path of managing change because now to change it, okay, I'm in a comfort zone. I like repetition. I feel comfortable. Now I'm going to upset the apple cart and, and do something different. And and that just opens a, a whole new basket uh, of of issues that could arise in that. But it needs to be done. Right. And, and you're right. You need to be aware of that basket that you're opening because human beings, we are all resistant to change. 
you know, uh, you've probably done workshops on change. I have too. I do do exercises where you get people to try and make little minuscule changes. And you, as soon as you free them up, they go right back to where they were. And I'm the same way. We all like the way things are. And so you have to be aware of that and manage that process, guide people through that change. Otherwise, you're really, you're really fighting. You're pushing the river, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> pushing the river. Yeah, in, in, the, in the other direction. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and, and to get people to buy into change takes a lot. Uh, and it's, it's a, a whole other conversation that we could have probably for an hour or so. Uh, but the one thing I've always said, that there's some people that doesn't matter. Any type of change is negative. Sure. I've always tried to look at change as an opportunity because if we're changing something, maybe there's there's something maybe better for me, maybe something I could do. And, and, and sometimes that, that change could maybe displace us out of a job. Uh, in 1999, I was laid off, restructured, re-engineered, fired, whatever, from, from uh, Victoria's Secret catalog. And it was devastating. Yeah. But if that hadn't happened, because someone told me about after that first week, this time that you have off is going to be the best thing that could ever happen to you. And then for a moment, I'm thinking, all I heard was wah, 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 wah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, within like a couple of weeks, I went, you know what? The person was right. This is the best thing that could happen because now I got a chance to reflect, figure out what I want to do when I grow up. So I haven't figured it out, but what I want to do when I grow up, what, what, maybe there's a different angle I want to take. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had that opportunity had that change not occurred. Right. Right. I think it's, you know, I've worked with a lot of people who've been in that position. When my, when my wife came to me and said, you know, Matt, I know you just got a promotion and you, you are enjoying your work, but I really want to live overseas. That's the journey I want to take. <laughs> um, you know, I wasn't expecting that, but you have to embrace that and say what's going to, and I, if I, you know, if, if I didn't, I wouldn't be where I am today, which is much richer. And, and um, I think you have to be open to those. You have to look to those opportunities and I don't know, life is a journey. <laughs> so, so, how does, so how does a 24, 25-year-old 30-year-old who's working for a law firm, engineering firm, accounting firm, whatever, how they, and we, we touched on this earlier, where do they begin? I mean, and I'll take it from the accounting profession. So when you ask them, you need to go out and learn these skills on your own. They go, do I get continuing education credit for it? Right. Learning is different than compliance. Right. And, and I would say from the aspect of compliance, you need to be technically sound, get your 40 hours in that, but find different ways. Of, you, you can read a book. You can read Lincoln's leadership. You're not going to be a leader like Lincoln, but you can learn from it. You can read Giuliani's book. You can read, you can listen to podcasts like this. You can explore, volunteer, take leadership roles, uh, but you, but you just have to get out there and, and or just, Go ask your boss, you know, what, what can you put me on a committee or, you know what, is there a presentation coming up that maybe that I could do or I could be a part of? I, I think it's that from the, the millennial generation, which is one thing I do really enjoy about them, they can be assertive. Right. Just be assertive and, and ask for the work, ask for the opportunities. I, I think that's the best place to start in developing your overall leadership abilities. No, I agree. I think it's, it's look, doing a hard look in the mirror saying, what do I want and why do I want it? Like, why do I want to be a leader? 
you know, what's in it for me, understanding what I want, and then being really clear about setting goals to get it, whether it's shadowing other leaders, whether it's doing some research, reading. I mean, gosh, there are so many great books on leadership and really just some of the biographies of some of the great leaders throughout time. You can learn so many of the same lessons uh, that, that people are learning over and over and over again, reading books, listening to podcasts, anything like that, but, but setting goals based on what you wanted to achieve, why you're doing it. I think is really important. And then if you can find a mentor and not being afraid to find a mentor, not being afraid to ask for it, that's, that's something I recommend to everybody. And, and to that point, what's in it for me, but once we're in that leadership role, that focus changes to what's in it for them. Sure. Uh, and, and some leaders don't look at it that way. It's still about them. But once you're in that leadership role and you're managing people, it's not about you. It's about making your people look the best that they can and giving, all, as you said earlier, the, the, the mirror and the window approach. It's give, giving them the accolades and you take the, the, the responsibility when something doesn't go right and don't throw your team under the bus. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you've just reminded me one of the things that was always in my mind when I was a naval officer, right? So I was still, I guess I was still at the academy, but one of my high school friends who had gone straight from high school and listed the Marine Corps. So, you know, I'm learning how to be an officer. I'm going to be leading troops and he's already an enlisted Marine, you know, cause you know, coming out of the Navy, you can be a Marine Corps officer too. And I saw him over at some Christmas party or something. And he said, Hey, you know, I've been doing this for two or three years now. Can I give you some advice? I said, absolutely, please. And, um, he said, just remember that these guys, these men, it was all men at the time, men and women. Now will be looking, they're looking to you. They need you to have their best interests in mind. You're their guy, right? And he, it was a fate. You know, I, I don't know. I always remembered his face because here's a friend of mine who was one of these guys that, you know, you show up on a ship and you've got a division of 12 or 13 people. Um, and you're trying to think, how do I accomplish the mission with these people? But it made me realize they're all, these are all guys who went to high school, you know, who have families and they're trying to accomplish what they need to accomplish. And it just changed the way I looked at things. Um, and I always try to make it about the people. And I think the same thing applies in business. You have to think about these people for who they are. So thanks for listening to that story. Oh, that's, that's, <laughs> I mean, you've, you've had some really great stories. And, and I, I like how you, a lot of them went back to your days at the Naval Academy. And, okay, so this is going to sound funny, but you just clarified something for me. I didn't realize when you graduated from Naval Academy that you could go and, and be in the Marines. Right. Which now you've clarified the whole NCIS. Uh, show because I was always wondering why you know the, the NCIS were always helping the Marines out. I could never. Right. I, I thought maybe that was a flaw in the show, but now you've straightened that out <laughs> for me, and I and I appreciate that. That's right. They're part of the Marine Corps, part of the Department of the Navy. Yeah, that's cool. Well, well, Matt, any any last parting thoughts to uh, to my audience? That's a big question. I you know I think we've covered an awful lot. Um, Pete. So I, I mean, thanks. Thanks again for inviting me. It's been a real pleasure talking about these things. I, I would just say that um, going back to what I said at the very beginning is just if you want to be a leader and work on your self-awareness, there's a quote from Tim Galway uh, who wrote The Inner Game of Tennis and then The Inner Game of Work. And he calls his, his phrase is awareness is curative. In other words, if we're aware of any situation, our unconscious mind allows us to fix it because we have that, those innate talents. So if you're aware of what you want to achieve, if you're aware of your personality and what you want, you will just naturally start to be a better leader. If you're aware of the people 
that you're interacting with, you will do a better job. So I guess that's the last thing I'd leave. But um, but thanks again. Oh, I can't thank you enough. I I, I always enjoy our conversations, and, and I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, you will be back. Uh, we'll have okay. another, we'll have another one of these, and because you bring a lot of great insight to this, you, you bring a different perspective to it, which I think is 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 refreshing in a lot of ways. And, and you came up with the definition of adding value is to me, and right there is the nugget for the day. And um, uh, I will be giving you a lot of credit on that, uh, okay. and, and however you said in the future. But thank you. I, I guess I guess as as we part, uh, Chuck, if you're still listening through all of this, I, I guess we left you off, the, let you off the hook this yeah, time. Yeah. Well, I, I think the next one we'll have to spend more time uh, having fun at your brother-in-law's expense, <laughs> <laughs> and then then the end conversation so i appreciate it thank you very much matt and i look forward to our next conversation i hope you enjoyed our conversation on leadership and this episode was packed full of wonderful tips and techniques remember understanding your self-awareness is a great starting point in developing your leadership skills be honest with yourself and know your strengths and weaknesses and ask for help in strengthening your weaknesses In reflecting on this interview and thinking about the connection between leadership and improvisation, I believe you must have the foundation of improvisation established, which is respect, trust, and support to be an effective leader. When those are in place, then listening and focus can follow so you can adapt to the situation at hand. As a leader, remember the window and mirror analogy. When my team is successful, look at them through the window. And when my team fails, look at yourself in the mirror. If I may make a sports reference here, on December 21st, my beloved University of Kentucky Wildcats lost to the rivals, the dreaded Louisville Cardinals, 73-70. to The next day on Facebook, John Calipari apologized to the UK fans for not having the team properly prepared for the game and took the blame 100%. He never made any excuses for any of the players or threw any of them under the bus. As a leader, he used the mirror. Another recent example of leadership in sports can be found in the Inc. Magazine's article, A Lesson in Leadership, Two Football Coaches, Two Player Mistakes, and Two Very Different Reactions. One of the coaches lifts his player up after a mistake, and the other coach throws his player right under the bus for his mistake. This is a must-read, and I'll put the link to the article in the show notes. Now, this was a very fun and informative interview, and I hope you enjoyed it. I would like to ask you of a favor. If you liked this episode, would you go out on iTunes and write a review? In return for writing a review, I will send you a free copy of my book. Now, that's a deal. So, after you write the review and it posts on iTunes, send me an email at peter at petermargaritas.com with your mailing address, and I will send you a signed copy of my book. Now, in episode 35, I interview Greg Kondaraci, who is an author, speaker, marketing and energy consultant, facilitator, trainer, and teacher. We discuss the difference between time management and energy management, and this is a must-listen episode for anyone who's going into a very busy time in their business life aka busy season so until the next time use your improvisational skills to become a better leader
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.